Would that be wrong? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, look at this. All right, I'm disassembling stuff. Y'all got to work with me here. All right, praise God. All right, well, I'm really glad. Uh, this has been quite a week for me. I don't know how it's been for you. But a difference a week makes when it comes to even just the weather. Last week, we were hanging out in the mid-60s and close to 70. I saw people running around with shorts and T-shirts and jogging and walking dogs and just doing everything they could. It, like, it, felt like, it really felt like spring. I'm watching tulips bud, and all of a sudden, you know, yeah, the last, you know, yesterday they put on jackets and all the other stuff. I'm like, what in the world? It just lets me know only God uh, can do these types of things in the span of a day or two, adjust the temperature of the atmosphere. But no matter what the outside circumstances are, our God is still in control. How do you know that? Tell somebody, God's in control, God's in control, God's in control, God's in control. Yes, God's in control. And so some of you have come some distance to be reminded of that. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. It's good seeing each of you together. She's probably trying to figure out if she can go upstairs to the children's church and maybe one of you all would take her up. Uh, but we're on this journey, this series called Rewrite. And I think we have a video. Uh, are you ready for that video, uh, Nevaeh, or no? No, no, not yet, maybe. Uh, we'll try that video today. Uh, it kind of gives us kind of perspective on what we are going through on this journey. While the video is being prepared, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And that's where we're going to land today uh, with that. I'm going to turn off this light, and you can go ahead and get it started.
and make all things new. And these words are true and faithful, faithful and true. How many of you lives are like this? You know, we start something and it doesn't quite turn out like we want it to. And there's a do-over moment. And for us, that do-over moment was salvation, that moment of coming into relationship with Christ. But even after that, God's always making something new in our lives. I'm so glad that I am not the same person I was two weeks ago. I pray and hope that I'm becoming better and better and newer and newer. How many of you are glad that you're not the same as you once were? Yeah, yeah. I'm so thankful. And today we're going to talk about a story of a man who was struggling with his life and the state of his eternity. It's a struggle that perhaps may be very common to each of us. His name is Nicodemus. I want us to start with John chapter 3 and begin with verse 1, and I'm going to go through verse 8. We're going to pause there for a moment, and then we're going to continue on. Hopefully, we can pick up something that will be beneficial and meaningful to us, because you and I are going to be dispensers of this good news. John chapter 3, verse 1. Do you have it? Amen. I got an amen. I got a yes over here. Can I get a yes over there? Yes, yes. All right, here we go. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You must be what? Oh, let's say this together. You must be, you must be born again. Boy, that's it right there. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is everyone who is born 
of the Spirit. Let's pause there for a second. We've got a, a dialogue and a conversation that at the initial look of it seems like there are questions being asked that aren't being answered or answers being given that are not related to the questions. I want to see if we can connect the dots a little bit. But there's this man named Nicodemus. Some people call him Nick. But Nicodemus was a man who was a ruler. He was a very important person. If I could create the status in your mind of who he was in comparison, he would be like one of the Supreme Court justices in our country. He would be one who knew the law, understood the law. He studied the law. He became an expert in the law, translating the law and making applications of the law. The man had his Ph.D. in the law, the Old Testament scripture. This is what he studied day and night. He could quote passages without even looking at it, word for word, commas, semicolons, and periods, and explanation marks included. He was a student of God's word. And he was a ruler. And this man came to Jesus. And it says he came to him at a particular time of the night. I don't know if he had insomnia or he was just trying to be stealth. The thing is, I think he was trying not to be seen. I'm going to tell you why that was important for him. He came to Jesus by night, and he said something. He said, we know that you, a teacher, come from God, and no one can do these signs unless these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is carrying a particular message. I want you to pay attention to the pronouns. He didn't say, I know that you are uh, sent from God. It says, we know that you are sent from God, verse 2 and 3. We know that no one can do these things unless you have a direct connection with God. What he is saying is that we've had a conversation. The group of us law, not just keepers, but students of the law and appliers of the law and teachers of the law, we were having a conversation. We came, we've come to some consensus. This is how far we've been able to get. We know that you've come from God. That's clear. Have you ever met someone that when you were with them, you knew that they had a direct connection with God? It was just something about them and the way that they talked. There's something about them. You just sense they've got a connection, right? My prayer is that people can look at you and see that and say, we know that you are connected with God. Not that you're doing lots of miracles and signs and wonders, but there's something about your love for God that is so real, so true, so authentic, that it just bleeds out in just your essence and who you are. They said, but I've got a problem. That is as far as we've been able to come to a consensus. And I am not satisfied in my soul. And I've got questions that I can't ask in the daylight because I've got a status to keep. I've got, uh, I've got a profile to maintain. Right? Ever, ever 
been there. Like there's some people I just can't associate with. As soon as I associate with them, it all of a sudden just creates a change in the way people think about me. Right? If I'm seen as a pastor hanging out at uh, a bar, right? I'm just hanging out, and you see me coming in and going out. You're probably not going to ask or say, hey, pastor, I saw you in the bar the other day. What's going on with that? But you're probably going to start thinking, hmm, pastor might be in there tipping a little bit, right? You're probably going to start developing some thoughts. If you see me hanging out in the corner with a bunch of prostitutes, you're probably not going to be thinking a whole lot about like, wow, he's so righteous, he's so holy, he's over there witnessing to them, right? You're probably like, oh, I thought he was married. What's he, what is the pastor doing, right? Particularly if they're in my car, driving down the street, changes things. This was Nicodemus' dilemma. There's something in his heart that was yearning for answers, but he couldn't get those answers in the view of everybody else. Because if you're up here, you can't be perceived as associating with other people down here. But he realized that he was not content, and he needed Jesus to fix Something that was wrong. Literally, he needed Jesus to rewrite something about his story. Let me say this. You and I cannot rewrite the story of our lives on our own. Let me just say it again. We don't have the capacity, as much as we so desire, we don't have the capacity to rewrite our own stories. People try to reinvent themselves all of the time. They put on wigs and eyelashes and uh, attire, or they move to different places. They get different jobs. They create new associations, and we try to rewrite the story of our lives. But when we move through our own rewrites, we discover we keep coming to the same places. We don't have the capacity to rewrite our story Nicodemus had come to that realization. He had the ability to say, and no matter how much I've studied and I've taught and I've learned, something is still missing. Ordinary people like us, we make some assumptions also. We assume that leaders are accomplished people have less doubts in life. But in reality, we all have doubts. I don't care if a person is a president, governor, mayor, congressman, senator, a teacher at the college level, uh, someone who is a banker who sits behind a really big desk uh, on Wall Street. It doesn't matter the person's profile. They can have some of the tightest tailor-made suits. You can be a, a person who's, whose bank account can pay off our national debt. But everybody Nicodemus was expressing his doubts, went past his religion. And in the midst of his question, 
Jesus gives an answer that doesn't seem related to his question. By the way, sometimes Jesus does that to us. We're asking God about this, and he gives an answer about that. You're like, wait a minute, that's not what I was asking. That's not what I was looking for. Particularly, you know, ever had anybody say, don't pray for patience, right? Like, well, it seems like patience is a really great virtue. I need that in my life, so I'm praying for patience. And so how does God answer? Great. The only way for us to develop patience, he gives you trials and difficulty. Wait, wait a minute. I'm asking a question, but that's not the answer I'm anticipating. Right? So Jesus answers this question. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. We, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Seems like Jesus finished the rest of his statement. So since you come from God, you can do the things that uh, cause you to be connected with God. The dot, dot, dot is in how can I be connected to God? And Jesus almost interrupts his thought pattern and says, let me just jump to it. We're not going to have a long conversation about this. Let me just answer the question you're really asking. Let me get to the heart of who you are. And he says, you've got to be born again. What Jesus does is he throws a 3D movie on when he only has 2D glasses. Ever been in a movie that's 3D? You don't have the glasses? You know how weird it is to kind of watch a movie like that? The movie that I really enjoyed watching with 3D glasses was Avatar. Y'all remember Avatar? Man, the vivid colors and all the stuff. You know, and I had grandchildren and nieces and so forth, and they were like, oh. And so, I, you know, I take my glasses off like this just to kind of see, and I put them back on to see, right? Anybody ever do that? It's just me. It's dark, so you can do all kinds of stuff. You can cry in the dark, and nobody knows, right? Right? Uh, so, so, but I realize it's much better, and I get better perspective and view with 3D glasses on when I'm watching a 3D movie. Jesus throws up a 3D response, and he says, I only have two-dimensional glasses. This is not making sense to me. Jesus, I'm going to break it down for you. He says, uh, I'm just not going to just kind of adjust your story. I'm literally going to ball it up and rewrite everything you thought about what it means to be connected with God. And he says, the best thing you need to know, the most important thing is that uh, unless you are born again, you cannot, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Nicodemus is asking the question, where do babies come from? Where do spiritual babies come from? Try to explain that question, or the answer to that question, to a two-year-old child. You're kind of like, oh, well, it's kind of hard to explain, but Jesus said, let me explain it in a way that hopefully you can understand. He's saying, is it possible? And he was, he was talking about himself. Nicodemus was an older man. 
right? So you ever have questions or conversations with people that they talk in third person? They talk about, well, I got a friend or I got, you know, somebody I know, and they have a question. What they're really saying is like, I am that third person, and I've got the question, but I can't let you know that I'm asking the question about myself, right? So Nicodemus says, well, when, how can someone who is old, like me, be born again? Can he go back into his mother's womb? He's really trying to figure this out. And then he's born a second time? 2D glasses, 3D movie. Jesus answered and says, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is just flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus is making a comparison. He says, okay, look, there's some things that are earthly, things that you can recognize that are just done here on earth. When people are born the first time, they usually come through, uh, and there are different thoughts on this. This is the direction I'm going to go in today. Uh, You've heard about a mother's water breaking, right? A child cannot come into this world unless the water breaks first. All of us were in some kind of water substance, some embryonic fluid is what they call it. You've got to be born into this world first, and that's being born the first time. But then there is another birth that must happen, and that is being born by the Spirit. He says, you got to be born first in water, and then you got to be born by a spirit. He says, that which is of the flesh is his flesh. If mom brings you into the world, mom and dad brings you into the world, you're just flesh. You're a human. You exist in this plane. But then he says, but that which is of spirit, which is born of spirit, then that's spiritual. Then he says, let me see if I can explain it. The wind. The wind... Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, he says, it's really hard to explain, but the wind is probably the best way to unpack it. You feel the wind, you see the results of the wind. But no man can tell where the wind starts and where it's going. But while it's moving, it has impact. In the same way with the Holy Spirit, we don't know where he's coming and where he's going, but when he crosses the path with our lives and we decide that we are in this place that we need God to rewrite our story, then he has the capacity to bring us by faith into his family. The Spirit refers to the very presence and move of God. This is not something that can be worked for, earned, or created on our own. Jesus goes on to explain that what Nicodemus needed and what all of us need is a work of God in our lives. 
And that lies outside of ourselves, and we're not in control of that rewrite. Let me pause here for a second. I was sharing during the prayer time this morning, I sense that God's going to be bringing people into this body that, um, hmm, how can I say it, that are deeply wounded, broken, and in spiritual pain. Let me say that again. I believe that God's going to start sending people into this body, but the type of people that he's going to be bringing are people who are deeply flawed, wounded, broken, or in great spiritual pain. Anybody know what spiritual pain feels like? Anybody knows what brokenness feels like? Any, I mean, just really, honestly, right? What I believe is that God's going to invite us to be a part of that healing process with them. But it's really up to us to figure out how we're going to use the healing that God has given us to help them. I'll give you an example. It's kind of a triage example. I shared this also. At the school that I work at, North Londa College Prep, and I'm going to share her name because she said it's okay, because I'm going to ask that you pray. Her name is Lisa. She is 17 years old. She's a senior in high school uh, getting ready for prom. She's already got a dress picked out, her shoes picked out, know how her hair is going to be laid, accessories. She even got the guy who's going with her, right? And uh, she's preparing for graduation and... um, Really excited about life. She's got her college applied for, accepted, and paid for. She's already kind of got, she's got a 4.2 or 3 GPA. Uh, She's very compassionate. She helps a lot of people. Uh, She leads in a lot of places. And she got some really bad news. Bad news this week, Tuesday, she found out that her 17-year-old cousin was at the hospital due to some diabetic complications and passed away. This is a cousin that lived in the house with them, and they were like best friends all the time. She walks into school Wednesday and said, my heart literally hurts. It feels like it's just going to fall out my chest. And it hasn't really hit me yet, the gravity of this loss. Remember the first time you lost somebody? How that felt? Then Thursday she shows up. She comes to my office, sits in the chair next to me, and says, I've got some more bad news. I got a call from the doctor while I was in class, went to the main office to receive it, and they said, I need to come in Saturday for an emergency surgery because I have a large cyst on my right side as well as I need to have my right kidney immediately removed due to some possible cancerous growth. To add to that dilemma was this other concern. And here's the concern. She says, this surgery is not new to my family. She begins to name all the people who had the surgery. She says, but the problem is every time any one of my family members had the surgery, within two days to a week, they all died. So I immediately... I'm in this conversation that I didn't walk into the day with, and I'm, I'm considering here is a very broken and wounded 
person, and the first thing I'm thinking, I'm not concerned about your physical well-being. I'm now jumping to what's your state between you and God. Because I can't will her and pray her through this surgery. I don't know what the results are going to be. I would pray that God would be merciful and gracious to her. But the most important thing is I want to know what's the state of your soul, of your relationship with God. Where are you? And I know you're not supposed to do this in a school setting. But when you and I are believers, there are certain things that we just have to do. So I began to have this conversation about who she is and her relationship with God. And I asked her, do you have a relationship with God? She said, I'm not sure. What do you mean? And as soon as we start to kind of have to kind of, you know how the devil works, right? All kinds of people start coming in the office, things start happening, and we got, she just got drifted away. I think, oh, my goodness. I got to find a way to get in touch with her. I got to find out what her state is before she goes into the surgery. Eventually, yesterday, I'm getting on the phone, and I talked to her, and I asked her, do you have a relationship with God? She said, I think I do, but I'm not sure. And there are going to be people that are going to be a part of your life that may already be a part of your life. They're going to have a Nicodemus moment. They're going to be coming to you, and they're going to want to know, what do I got to do to be connected with God? Because my life is literally falling apart. Are you ready with an answer? Can you give direction and, can, uh, and clarity on what that next step is? If they say, you know, I don't know if I have a relationship with God, what are you and I going to say? You must be born again. But we have to be able to explain it in a way that makes sense to the person hearing it. For me, I shared my story, how I came to, to a relationship with God. And I said, have you ever made that decision? She says, yes, I have. The day before I got baptized. That immediately changed things. And the reason why I'm taking this moment to share this story with you, because something in me tells me that each one of us, no matter how young, no matter how personally broken we may be, feel with the circumstances in our lives, we will be called upon to be wounded healers. While God is healing us, we cannot be so occupied about our own stuff that we ignore the things that God is bringing into people's lives that draws them to us so that we can draw them to Jesus. First thing people need to know is that we just can't rewrite our own story. We need something new, the new life that only comes from God's spirit being born again. The conversation continues. And Nicodemus in verse 9 says, answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, aren't you a teacher of Israel? Do you not know these things? Most assuredly, verse 11, I say to you, we speak what we know. I love the pronouns. You can't miss this. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven. You already acknowledge it. You know that I've come from God. So no one has come from God unless he's been with God. So you got it right, Nicodemus. I have a personal relationship with God to the point that we can, I can say we. Right? I can say that God, the Holy Spirit, and I, we've consulted on this matter. We have a conversation. Just like you and your guys in the law were having a conversation, we were having a conversation, and we're going to share with you the answer. He says, yeah, you're right. I'm connected with God. I'm just as connected with God as you can get. In fact, God and the Father and I are one. So he says, how can you believe if I told you Heavenly things, spiritual things, things that you can't see with your eyes. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Verse 14, and Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He said, oh, now I'm getting down to the crux of the answer. Here's the issue. If you're looking for how to get connected with God, look no further than the person who is standing in front of you. Very bold statement. We know now in the aftermath that Jesus is the answer. But people were still trying to figure out and discover, like, who is this man Jesus? We know he can do miracles, he can do signs, he can do great and wonderful things, but are you like the promised Messiah? Are you really the one that's going to deliver us? Are you the one that we've been hoping for, that you're the one that we've been looking for since the very beginning of time? Are you he? Jesus says, I'm he. Let me give you an example. Just as Moses had to lift up a serpent in the wilderness. Let me unpack that story for a brief moment. Numbers 21. There was a time the people of, of uh, the Jewish Hebrew people had left Egypt and they were on their way to promised land. But on their way to promised land, they were hanging out in the wilderness, a very dry, arid place. And God was taking care of them. But how many of you know that even when God takes care of us, we still complain? Anybody? Ever, I mean, Really? Even when God's taking good care of us, you know, it may not be like what we like for him. We don't get steak and what goes with steak? Steak and rice? Steak and what? (laughs) Yes. All right. We don't get the high class stuff that we 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 think we want. But he's taking care of us. Well, the issue was they started complaining. They started moaning and groaning and whining. Anybody whining and groaning complaining this morning? On the way to church. We're not going to confess that, Pastor. How about last night? Right? Anytime this week, complained? Right? Yes? Hallelujah. Come on now. This is church. We can't confess. All right? We know. We complain. It's easy. I'm on second nature. The first thing comes out of my mouth, something, something negative. Oh, wow, this has got to happen. Ooh, right? Some of us complain, like, why well, I got to go to church? Why can't church be at 11 o'clock? I got to be 10 o'clock, right? We're finding all kinds of things complaining. They were complaining, and God got mad. By the way, he really does not like grumbling and complaining because it registers dissatisfaction with who he is and what he's doing and his provision in his hand. He does not like it. So if you are a complainer, be careful. We're not complaining about something to a friend or a family member. We're saying something about God. So, anyhow, 
They were complaining. God got mad, and he just out of nowhere created all of these fiery serpents that just kind of, I don't know, they fell out of the sky. They just showed up, right? And they start going through the camp of millions of people, biting people. I need you to picture what's happening. Biting people. If you want to know, read the story in Numbers 21, all right? Biting people, and people were on fire, not just like physically, but like sometimes the pain just created like this venom in their blood veins felt like fire. And they were dying. They were just like dropping. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to get salvation. There was no antidote for this serpent. So God says to Moses, take and make a bronze serpent. Stick it on a pole and ask people to look at it. If they look at it, they're going to be healed. Now, imagine how crazy that sounds, right? I'm, I'm frothing, and I'm writhing, and I'm in pain. Moses, I don't know, whatever you're over there doing, please hurry up, okay? All right? But when he finally says, voila, here's the answer. Check out this stick. I just, got you to, I just, I just need you to visually see. Check out this stick. And I'll put it back. Hopefully, I don't mess this up. Okay? Check out the stick. Look at it. Okay? And there's a, there's a, I don't know how craftily he made it, but there's a snake on this. If you look at it, I'm just going to tell you, if you just look, even with half an eye, right, you're going you're to be healed. Do you know what's required at that moment for a person? Faith. That is simply it. You're not going to look for any other reason that the circumstance you're in is so desperate, so messed up, so broken that this is like, I'm going to do it because it's the only thing that's being given to me as an answer. But do you know that there are some people, though the answer was right in front of them, I believe refused to look? There are some people that you and I are going to be sharing the good news with. And so by the answer is on the pole. The answer is on the cross. The answer is Jesus. And we're like, man, dude, this is not, this is the craziest thing. There's got to be another way. I believe that people in that tent, they were making their own concoctions. They were trying to like drink this and hurry up, rub this on. And they were, they were trying to come up with their own solutions, their own work, their own efforts. We're really good for that. But Jesus look in the same way that they had to simply look at the pole and live. The Son of Man is going to be stretched up, stretched out, and all you have to do is believe. Then we get to verse 16. We know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten that whosoever should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus gets to part of Nicodemus' response. Yes, you know that God, I came from God. God sent me. You're right about that, but he sent me with a purpose. I didn't just come from God to do all these signs and miracles. 
The only reason why I'm doing these signs and miracles, Nicodemus, is so that you can look at me. You can come in the middle of the night if you have to, but come to me. Now that you're here, I'm letting you know that I am the answer. For God, my God, the we, my God sent me, and I came so that anybody who would simply look can live. Believe by faith, and you will have everlasting life. No one can rewrite your life but Jesus. But here's the last point. Without Jesus, your life is only going to get worse. Let me say it one more time. Without Jesus, your life will only get worse. Our greatest need. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need were money, he would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. The reason why the rewriting of our story is impossible no matter how much we have tried or try, our people try, the problem is the only person who can rewrite it is Jesus because our offense is against God. And you like that image, rewriting? It means you have to literally ball up the old and let him come up with the new. And what we like to do is hold on to part, portions of the old. That's bad, I'm going to let God have that, but I really want to keep this part of who I am and what I'm doing. The idea of God rewriting literally says I'm taking up and balling it all up, and I'm starting with something absolutely new. But a person who refuses to accept that is how God will work, then a person's life will only get worse. And here's how it says it. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, who who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Really simply put. Every single person born, from the moment we are born, we are born into condemnation. We are born with a judgment already written against us. 
we come out of our mother's womb with a sign that says guilty on us already. We were born into sin, shaped in iniquity. You ever wondered how a one-year-old can embrace doing bad things? You don't have to teach a child to lie. It is automatic. You don't have to teach them to steal. It's automatic. Just watch children. You don't have to teach them to be deceptive. Oh, man. I, I, I remember my parents said I cannot have some cookies. They were in the refrigerator. And I, can, I concocted what I believe was the most believable story possible. So I knew that if I were to be asked this question, I already had an answer made up. I developed a scheme on how to get to the, the cookies. I had created my exit plan. I figured out how to make sure I got rid of the evidence. Right? I'm doing this as a little bitty boy. No one had to teach me to think this way. What I don't know, I didn't know that parents are much smarter than we think we are. And so is God. Right? We're born, every person is born with a guilty stamp already stamped on them. And that's a hard thing for people to accept. But if you came to Christ, that has to be the first thing we accepted. I am guilty. There's nothing about my life that I can do to fix my guilt. Nicodemus stood in front of God and said, Jesus saying, I know about my life and all the things that have happened and I've done. I know the law, but no matter how I read the law, the law feels like it keeps condemning me. I can't get myself right. I can teach the law, but I can't do everything it says I ought to be doing, even though I'm a professor of this same law. The law has a way of raising our understanding of our guilt and our condemnation. He says, when I came into the world, my purpose in coming to the world was not to create condemnation for people. I came to create a way forward, an escape, a cleansing, a healing, a door for people to have right standing with God. Jesus left, Nicodemus left Jesus that night. I wonder if he accepted the answer given to him. Something tells me if I look further into the book of John, he did. What he began to do, he did in the light and no longer in the darkness. All of his law buddies had already made up the mind that they needed to get rid of Jesus and kill him. And he was one of the few dissenting voices that said, you know what, this is wrong. The way we're doing this and the way what we're doing is wrong. When you and I come to faith in Christ, there's a new boldness that comes. It's willing to stand in front and against popular opinion. The second thing that gave me an idea that Nicodemus became bold and came, became in love with the answer of Jesus Christ 
Because even when Jesus died on the cross, he stood in front of people in power and says, look, I want his body. I'm going to care for him. I'm going to put him in a place of respect. I think Nicodemus got it. How many of you sit here this morning and say, I've got the message. I've let Jesus rewrite my life, and I'm a new person because of it. Just raise your hand. I just need to see who you are. You're here because you have let Jesus rewrite your life. Praise God. Most hands went up. I'm going to share the gospel really simply, and then I've got a challenge for those of us who raised our hand. If you didn't raise your hand, I want you to hear me clearly. You and I were born, and we have chosen to do wrong. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think that is an offense against God. The Bible says really clearly, hear me, for the payment of our sin, is death. And the death that I'm talking about is just not the separation of our spirit from our body. That's one death. But the death that I am talking about here is separation from God in hell. Hell is the worst imaginable place never designed for man but only designed for Satan and those who follow him. But those who reject the answer of Jesus Christ will spend forever in hell. Forever is a very long time. Because once you've gotten to the end of your imagination, forever keeps going and going and going and going. Hell is extremely painful. It's extremely lonely. It's extremely dark. It is, it is so terrible. I wish I had time to explain it. That is the destination of any person, no matter how good you may believe you are, that is the final destination for anybody who does not trust Jesus Christ. Simple, plain. I don't want to twist it up with a whole lot of fancy words. But the Bible says, but the gift, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you want to live forever, if you want to be in relationship with God now and into eternity, then you must choose to trust your life to Jesus Christ only.